Now, as we come to Revelation 16, we're entering the final stages of mankind's occupancy upon the earth. And as we've said before, the seed of the serpent is the culmination, represents the culmination of everything that represents the opposition to God. And the seed of the woman represents everything that has grown up to fullness in Christ. Because the enemy has over the millennia opposed the things of God and has become more and more sophisticated and systemic in its sophistication, in its opposition to God, it doesn't look like it did in the Garden of Eden, nor does it look like it did, say, in, uh, in the Egyptian slavery or in the Babylonian slavery or in the Roman enslavement of Israel and the Roman opposition to the early church. Now, the enemy has grown in sophistication. There was a a peak at that, how he has grown in sophistication, when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time and said, all these I would give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. So we shouldn't be surprised when the sophistication with which the enemy now opposes the body of Christ has grown to these levels of complexity. Daniel, of course, prophesied all of this in Daniel 7 and there have been repeated references throughout the prophets of this kind of opposition. Jesus himself spoke of it in his prophetic utterances in Matthew 23 and 24. Uh, And earlier on when he would say things like, go tell that fox, I will cast out out demons today and tomorrow and I'll heal the sick and on the third day I will reach my goal. So prophecy is typically symbolic um, and designed to be unpacked in the timeliness Uh, that God ordained for these messages to shed light upon what we might expect in that moment of time. (laughs) You know, what's interesting is I have been known and the record of my teachings is well established in the public forum. Uh, I've been known for teaching on the order of the government of God and sonship and the character of God and growing to maturity and exact representation and image and likeness and all of that. A very Christocentric message, Christ as the pattern for all the sons of God, an assembled body 
in the image and likeness of Christ. That's what I've been known for. It probably would have been my worst nightmare had I been told that what God would have me do when I was old, and now I'm old, I was young and now I'm old, that what God would have me do in my 70th year and going forward would be to unpack the book of Revelation. One does not have to be reminded of the unfolding tragedy and the threat not only of wars but rumors of wars, the like of which we have read in history, recent history like the 1940s, now are unfolding with greater and greater frequencies and with terrifying, horrifying results. And it won't get any better. The process of the four horsemen that we spoke about at the beginning of unpacking the book of Revelation is very much afoot in our time. And when peace is taken from the earth, which is what uh, the rider on a red horse is given power to do, this is also the one that represents war and bloodshed. Peace is taken from the earth. You know, there is not going to be peace again on the earth until the coming forth of the Prince of Peace. So, war, turmoil, conflict is ahead of us in an unending stream of violence that will consume more than a third of the earth's population. But that's not what I want to talk about just now. As we go to the the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation, it begins thus, thusly, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. These are the final decrees of God's judgment upon the beast. Now we saw in the 14th chapter the beast reaching the power of its dominion and control of mankind, saying to mankind that they cannot buy or sell an absolute strangulation, absolute economic strangulation, together with who can make war against the beast, an absolute military strangulation of this beast. So you can't escape and you will be crushed and devoured if you are not subject, if you don't make yourself subject to the beast and to its polity. Again, this is not about some horned beast that 
terrorizes mankind. This is a kingdom. Daniel told us that from Daniel 7. The four great beasts which you saw are four kingdoms. So this is a kingdom. It's the fourth and final one. And in fact, John in the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter, depicting the beast, describes the beast as a compendium of the previous four. So final judgments now are coming upon the beast because it has reached absolutely the apogee of its terrifying rule over mankind. Daniel told us that it will wage war against the saints. There is no other purpose, let me put it differently, there is no other primary purpose for the seed of the serpent than to wage war against the seed of the woman. Shall I say that again? Sometimes we forget the simplicity of the truth. Satan opposed the sons of God at the very beginning of creation. Adam was the son of God. That is clearly as described in the genealogy of Jesus recorded in the book of Luke. So the serpent opposes the son. We've we've delved into this before. Why? Because the serpent, that ancient serpent, the devil or Satan, previously this great angel, believing that he was overlooked and bypassed, maligned and marginalized by God. And his war is a fight against his creator, believed it's a fight that he believes to be a righteous fight for his proper place. We know that he was never created as a son, only as a servant to serve the sons. We know that, but that's not his conviction. His conviction is he was overlooked, bypassed, marginalized, and so on. So his war against the son is unending until God grants judgment in favor of the seed of the woman who is the person of Christ, Christ being the corporate man, many-membered. So inevitably there is judgment against the beast, inevitably. In this war, This war is not an unending war. This war is destined to be brought to an end. God said, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Therefore, God must bring an end to the enmity. Man cannot do it and Satan cannot prevail. So, there will come a time then when God brings an end to the enmity and there's only one way for this enmity to end. 
the Son of God, according to 1 John chapter 3, the Son of God, being also the seed of the woman, being also the corporate man, the corporate Christ, the Son of God was revealed for this reason, to destroy the works of the devil. So when by our example of righteousness and faithfulness to God in the face of the proliferation of evil in every possible form until it absolutely reaches the depth of depravity that it can reach, until then, God then gives judgment in favor of the saints. That's what Revelation 16, final judgment against the beast is about. And you will see a conflation of many symbols associated with Israel in its history of being opposed as the carrier of the promise. And the inference is that understanding these oppositions, these attacks by way of opposition, we are to understand the schemes of the devil and the judgments of God upon these schemes. We'll see how God deals with the devil in his final dissolution of his power and authority by analogous references to the way he dealt with him in previous times when Israel was the representation of the seed of the woman. All right? So here we go. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So, important things to note. Great voice out of the temple giving to the seven angels. The seven angels who carry the seven vials or bowls of the wrath of God that represent final judgments, um, they do not initiate anything. The angels do not initiate anything. Why? Because the angels are servants. Those who command the angels are the ones who are being served by the angels. So they must speak before the angels can act. All right? I heard a great voice out of the temple. Now the word therefore temple, we have said many times before, is not the word hyrion, which is a structure or a building. It is the word naos, N-A-O-S. 
This would be analogous to the dwelling place of God, like the Holy of Holies in the temple in Israel. Since Israel is no longer and the temple no longer the representation of the person of the dwelling place of God, but now God dwells not in temples made with hands, the naos of God is the body of Christ. And the body of the dwelling place of God, where God dwells by His Spirit, for the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirits. And according to Ephesians chapter 3, along about verse 19, the family of God, the complete family of God, the body of Christ, is in both heaven and earth. So out of that representational body of believers in heaven at this time, out of them, out of the naos of God, a voice comes. Now it is not clear whether this is the voice of the head speaking or the collective voice of the body speaking, in which case it would sound like the voice of many waters, if you will recall. But the point I'm making is, is rather simple. The body of Christ in heaven is decreeing what the angels will do with full contemplation of that part of the body of Christ that is yet on the earth. I want to state again unequivocally that whatever is being poured out upon the earth for the judgment of the beast and the nations that receive the mark subjected themselves to the control of the evil one, these are not judgments to come upon the body of Christ on the earth. I understand the appeal of the doctrine of the rapture to certain church folk. That, you see, is a way they think of logistics because if these things are being poured out on the earth, then surely if the body of Christ is in the earth, it's going to come in for this hazing, for this destruction. That is, that is silly. Where was Israel when the plagues were falling on Egypt? Were they already in the Promised Land? No, they were in Goshen. They were protected and even the night when the destroyer came stalking the firstborn of Egypt, the provision of blood upon the sides of the door and the lintel told the destroyer that the work had already been done in those places. I am worn out nearly with the silliness of reason logic, supplanting the truth of Scripture and the transcendent nature of the dealings of God. There is a full-on war right now between 
the sons of Zion who believe in the transcendent nature of God, the eternal nature of God, and the sons of Greece who have a conjured up view of God that is somehow a composite of religious thoughts and human reason. This silliness is going to lead to a separation. Be sure you're on the right side. Be sure you're on the side of the sons of Zion and not from the sons of Greece. Unfortunately, most evangelical doctrines are the product of the reasoning of Greece. And if you're drinking from that brackish stream, you're likely to be poisoned in the spirit of your mind, dulled to the truth at a critical time, like like foolish virgins unprepared for the event that should have been the culmination of their existence. There was a voice out of the naos saying to the angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Now from chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, we know that there were three things required. You receive the mark of the beast, worship the image of the beast, and worship the name of the beast. This is a specific judgment now come upon them. I want you to to, uh, hear something that God once spoke long ago uh, by the the prophet. From the book of Zechariah, chapter, let me see here, from the book of Zechariah, God had already promised, chapter 13 beginning at verse 2, let's quickly look at Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 2. This is a prophecy regarding Christ coming and as a consequence of which God offering salvation to to the house of David and to Jerusalem. But there would be a cutting off from sin and from uncleanness. He says, and it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off from the name of idols out of the land and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass 
that when they shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through that prophesied." And it goes on. But the point being here that in the 16th chapter, verse 2, there came a noisome and grievous sore upon men which had received the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Long time ago I heard just a, a foolish thing, but it, it gained such traction in evangelical circles. It was the time when they were proposing that there would be these implants into people's foreheads and, and right hands and that these implants of electronic circuitry would be powered by micro batteries and that what God would do is cause these batteries to burst and they would have, uh, they would create these sores upon people who had received the mark of the beast. Wild, mindless, wild speculations like that became the staple of conspiracy theories. And to this day, people are still looking in that direction. Whereas what's going on here is quite different from, from any of that. The first four of the the first four of these vials of God's wrath represent some very uh, distinct things happening to the populations of the earth, but they're all analogous to things that happened to Israel. Uh, rather things that happened to the Egyptians in the day of God's wrath upon the Egyptians. So God is simply saying, like in analogies to Israel in Egypt, these are things that have their uh, correlevancies to things that will happen in the end of the age. So noisome sore upon those who had received the mark of the beast. Keep in mind that these things are unfolding against a background of four horsemen. The third and fourth horsemen bring famine, plagues, pestilences upon the earth and all manner of things happening to people come as a consequence of 
the judgments heralded by these horsemen poured out in final distributions upon mankind. We'll talk more about that as we continue our discussion. M. Sam Solon, continue to study this book with me. Bye-bye.